0: You're listening to Sleep Apnea Stories. I'm Emma Cooksey, and if, like me, you're living with a chronic sleep problem, you just find the place for inspiration, hope, and encouragement. I'm not a doctor, but I have spent more than 10 years coping with sleep apnea, and I have a great deal to share about strategies I've used to live more fully every day. Find tools to live your best life while managing your symptoms. We'll hear inspiring stories from all sorts of people making the best of life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm glad you're here. So welcome to episode one. My name's Emma Cooksey, and I'm your host. And today, um, I'm going to be sharing a little bit about my story with sleep apnea, um, I thought that this would be really helpful um, just to introduce myself, but also so that you can see that I'm a normal person just like you. <laughs> and I'm just struggling with sleep apnea and trying to live my best life um, and get some good night's sleep. So, I'm again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a sleep apnea expert. But I've been living with sleep apnea, I got diagnosed 12 years ago, and I've been living with it every day since then. And I feel like I've made some really great progress in how I feel and um, how I'm coping with having a chronic sleep condition. So hopefully, um, me sharing my story will help some people out there to realize that they should consider whether they have sleep apnea, or just people who are... Um, newer in their journey, maybe it will help to hear how much better my life is now than when I was first diagnosed. So I feel like normally when I share with people that I have sleep apnea, I usually start from that I was diagnosed 12 years ago when I was 30. And I kind of skip over the whole of my 20s. And I think the reason that I do that is that my 20s were kind of bleak. When I'm looking back on them now, um, I clearly had all of the symptoms of sleep apnea. I had like brain fog. Um, I honestly don't really remember a lot about my 20s because I just kind of never got enough sleep. So um, I was really just tired all the time. Um, and I also would, you know, certainly like a lot of women, I think, I suffered with anxiety and depression. And a lot of that now I'm kind of realizing was linked into having sleep apnea. But at the time, when you're looking for answers, and you go to doctors, they will zero in on the fact that you're anxious and depressed. And so nobody really asked me you know, are you having headaches in the morning? Are you sleepy all the time? Do you want to fall asleep like, you know, every afternoon? Because I definitely had all of those symptoms. And um, I think if somebody had asked those questions, I would have got to having a sleep study and figuring out my sleep apnea quicker. But nobody really did. And I kind of, uh, because I just went saying, mainly I feel anxious and depressed. And, uh, you know, I, I was really kind of asking for help with that. And so um, I definitely had a lot of really good therapy and, it, and you know, a lot of what I went through um, to deal with my anxiety and depression probably really helped me overall in my life. And um, so if you haven't had any therapy, I strongly recommend that just for, for dealing with life in general. Um, but it obviously didn't help, uh, with the underlying sleep apnea problem. So for an example that I always think of when I was 22, uh, this just kind of illustrates what my life was like at that point. I was traveling. I went backpacking after university. Um, and I was working for a law firm in Sydney and I was sharing a house with a bunch of other backpackers and I had to get up. I was working a really different schedule from everybody else in the house. So I had to get up at 6am every morning and I slept horribly. I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor and I would have that anxious pounding chest feeling every morning from obviously stopping breathing all the way through the night. And I, I would just drag myself into the shower and I would just cry in the shower every morning, <laughs> which now is so bleak in the retelling, but that's that's just how I was coping. I was just like crying every morning to the point where one of my housemates came in while I was in the shower one morning and was like, uh, are you crying? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I've been crying like most mornings, (laughs) which is so ridiculous now, like it's like there's something clearly wrong, but at the time, you just do whatever you have to do to survive, and you don't know, and you don't know any better, you don't know that, you know, you have this underlying sleep problem. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you listen to the podcast, you know how many of the guests have dealt with mental health challenges along with sleep apnea. I have struggled with anxiety and depression for years and have found therapy so helpful in my journey. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self help. It is professional therapy done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So, you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. Visit betterhelp.com emma. That's betterhelp.com slash emma and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. There's a special offer for Sleep Apnea Stories listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Emma. So during my 20s, I lived in Glasgow in Scotland And I met my husband there. He's American. He's from Florida originally, but he'd been living in Glasgow for a number of years because of work. So I met him and we got married in 2005. Um, And then in 2007, we moved here to Florida. Um, We live in suburban Northeast Florida. And Um, I also got pregnant with our first child, Katie. So that was the, the year before I got diagnosed with sleep apnea. So I was having a pretty tough time, not sleeping well, but also had no friends and had just moved to a new country. And I was pregnant and I was a really pukey pregnant person. Um... I just didn't feel well the whole time I was pregnant. So um, I was adjusting to a new place and everything. And then when I had my baby, obviously that brought a huge amount of joy, but I still felt um, anxious and a bit depressed. And so, of course, when you've just had a baby, um, everybody you know, thinks that you're, you have postpartum depression, which maybe I did have some of that too. But I definitely think that the not sleeping part was not helping me at all. And <laughs> um, so I got to about, she was about six months old, and she started sleeping through the night. And that was when I just had this niggling feeling like there's something not right, because I still wasn't sleeping well. And my baby slept all night. So I was kind of thinking like, why do I keep waking up all the time? Um, when the baby's having a big, long stretch of sleep and I need to sleep so much. So I started to kind of just consider like, maybe there's something going on with my sleep. Um, but I'd never had anyone like all of my family growing up. Like we had a bunch of snorers and I'd never really heard of people going for sleep studies or having a sleep disorder unless it was a very extreme, you know, I think I I knew the term narcolepsy and I knew that that wasn't what I had, but I still just kind of thought, well, maybe I should start doing something about it. But of course I had a baby, so I was really busy and I didn't really get around to it. So then cut forward to Katie was nine months old. And we had been over in Orange Park visiting my mother in law. And I was driving back across the Buckman Bridge, which is this huge, really wide bridge in Jacksonville. And I got about halfway across and I had a distinct feeling like I can't keep my eyes open. I'm going to fall asleep. And if you've ever been in that situation, it's really scary. And I, was looking in the rear view mirror at my sleeping baby just trying to hold on to get to the other side of the uh, bridge. So thankfully I got to the other side of the bridge but I definitely had what people call a micro sleep where I was behind a truck and I was probably like 30 or 40 feet behind a truck. And I just had that momentary, uh, thing where I suddenly was aware that the truck was a lot closer than it had been. And it was like, I'd had this tiny mini sleep and it was terrifying. So then, um, fortunately nobody was hurt. And I pulled off as soon as I got off the bridge and I just pulled into a parking lot and I slept for 20 minutes just enough to be able to make it home. And of course I was really upset because I was thinking about what could have happened to my baby and what could have happened to me. So that afternoon I called my doctor and I said, I really thought I needed a sleep study because I really had no idea what was going on, but I knew that something was going on if I was that tired. So that's when um, I got hooked up with a sleep study and I'm sure we're going to have to talk a little bit about the American healthcare system. But at that time, we, my husband had an employer with an excellent health plan. So it was no problem at all. They just said, we'll send a technician over and they'll hook you up. So I did it in my own home and <clears throat> they hooked up my all sorts of um, electrodes all over my head and somebody in Texas was monitoring my sleep all night. So they have like kind of a laptop that they set up and it has like a webcam. So they're watching you, which is a bit creepy. But when it came back, they said, yes, I definitely had moderate to severe sleep apnea. And I was stopping breathing multiple times all night and I would need to get CPAP. So one thing about being diagnosed is you have a sense of relief because I knew what was wrong with me. You know, no wonder I'd been feeling terrible because I hadn't been getting enough oxygen into my brain. So but the other um point of being diagnosed is I feel like a lot of the sleep um doctors are treat it as though, you know, you go in and they say, here's your results. You're going to need a CPAP machine. Here's a CPAP machine. Good luck. And they just send you home. And nobody really talks you through how difficult it is to sleep with a CPAP mask over your face. And getting used to the CPAP was a whole challenge in itself. So a couple of things that I want to encourage new CPAP users to do that I wish I'd known at the time are, first of all, to get a humidifier. So they have attachments, um, humidifier attachments that attach to sleep and uh, um, CPAP machines. And what they do is just make the air that you're breathing less dry. So if you try and uh, sleep with the CPAP machine without a humidifier, you'll just find that you're breathing very dry air and you wake up with a really dry mouth and it feels terrible so get a humidifier the second thing is i was sent home with a just generic standard man's face mask so you're going to if you're a woman you're going to want to get a smaller mask that fits your face better um And just depending on the size of your face or or what your needs are, just make sure you have the right kind of mask. So I know some people have, um, I have a full face mask. I know some people have the ones that um, just uh, attach to your nose. So whatever type you've been prescribed, you need to just kind of try out a bunch until you find what works for you. And the other thing is, uh, I'm sure that people you know, told me this, but I did not get the memo about how tight or loose your mask should be. So I was wearing it way too tight so that I had big lines every time I woke up. So just experiment with, and um, providing you have a good seal of air, um, you're gonna get the benefit. So make your straps looser so you don't end up with big indentations on your face. Um, So there are just a few things that it took me probably like six months to figure out. So hopefully I save some people some time. Things have really improved for me since I started using my CPAP. Um, I definitely have a lot less daytime sleepiness. Um, I mean, I could always take a nap. I can take a nap at any point, Um, but it's a lot better than it used to be, and I can tell that I'm getting more oxygen in my brain at night. Um, I have one of the CPAPs that links up to a nap that tells you how many times your sleep's disturbed an hour, and I think I was stopping breathing in my sleep about 35 times an hour when I I first had my um, sleep study done, which is quite a lot, and then now that I have my CPAP, it's not usually zero, but it's normally one or two times. So that's a big improvement. But I think the point I want to get across to you is that whatever treatment you use, you still are going to be living with a chronic sleep condition. So some people just can't tolerate the CPAP and they try, but it's too uncomfortable. They feel claustrophobic and they just can't do it. So there are a bunch of other different um, tools you can use. So, hopefully, during the podcast, we'll speak to people who are using some of those other alternatives. So, for instance, there's uh, a you can go to the dentist and get an oral appliance fitted, and uh, that helps by keeping your tongue from blocking your airway when you're asleep. So, for some people, that works really, really well. And then there's also um, a new implant that some people are using. So I know one of my first guests on the podcast is going to be discussing that. So I'm interested to find out what the other alternatives are. But I think one of the biggest things that's helped me to deal with sleep apnea is um, just adjusting my expectation. That I think reaching some level of acceptance is really important because that way you you know, don't get frustrated that, you know, you're using the CPAP and you're doing all the things and you still are having some really crummy night's sleep. Well, that's going to happen. But I think if you focus on the things that you can take control of um, in in your overall health and well-being, so things like exercise and eating um, nutritious food, Uh, do you know like surrounding yourself with loving family and friends doing things that you enjoy all of those kind of things that you have control over you can really make a big difference to your life and and so then if you have a couple of bad nights sleep in a row you don't get hung up on you know like your treatment isn't really working and all of that you just kind of get really grateful for the the nights that go really well and you wake up energized and you can have a full great day so, um, if you're using any of the alternatives I talked about, I would love to hear from you and maybe discuss on the podcast, how that's going for you. I wanted to leave you with some practical advice for anybody who's newer to the sleep apnea journey or hasn't been diagnosed yet that kind of thing um when you wake up in the morning and you've had a disturbed sleep where you've stopped breathing multiple times all night and you're going to feel like a bear has been chasing you (laughs) there's so much adrenaline and cortisol coursing through your system that for years and years i would wake up just thinking I was an anxious person who (laughs) was really scared of everything but now when I wake up with that feeling I take a moment just still in bed to do breathing exercises to center myself so one of the things you can do is just a simple breathe in for four hold for four out for four and And while I'm doing that, I'll think to myself, I don't say out loud because my husband would be annoyed, Um, but I think to myself, you are loved, you are safe. And I do that for probably like 10 minutes before I even get up. And it makes a huge difference to how I feel the rest of the day because I haven't started my day with this really tense, anxious (laughs) feeling I've managed to like that dissipates if you just stay there do some breathing exercises. and um, and then the next thing that I always do is I walk usually for 40 minutes every morning. So it's about two miles or something. Um I don't want to go most mornings. Most mornings I want to go back to bed and sleep more and if that's how you feel I totally get where you're coming from, it's terrible. But I found that I feel like a completely different person once I've walked. And um, so I really recommend that you you try that as well. And um, one of my favorite podcasts is Armchair Expert with Dax Shepherd. And he, I can't remember who he was interviewing, but he came out with the most profound thing which I think about every morning now where he said, no matter what you're struggling with, whether it's addiction or depression or just any chronic illness, he said, I don't want to talk to you until you've exercised for an hour a day because exercise is so transformative. And I think that's really true. It has a huge impact on your mental health and just your ability to manage life with sleep apnea, it's huge. So that's definitely highly recommended. And then the other thing I do every morning is eat a healthy, balanced breakfast. Um, I know it's not the most exciting thing, but um, I have oats with almond milk and fruit and nuts every morning. And it makes a big difference, even if the rest of your day is about to go off the rails, uh, having the breathing exercises, the walking and the healthy breakfast together really help you to get over that first hump of, uh, getting through the morning. So, and the very last thing I want to leave you with today is the silver linings that have come from having sleep apnea. I know that if you're in the middle of really suffering, um, it can be difficult to, to see any good that might come out of, uh, the condition, but I've really found over time that I um, have become healthier because I'm trying to deal with sleep apnea. So I think that because I really want to get a good night's sleep, I do a lot of things to stay healthy and active and eat good food and meditate and do yoga and, you know, acupuncture, all the things. And I'm not sure if I didn't have sleep apnea, I don't know if I'd actually go to the effort to take as good care of myself. So I see that really as a silver lining to it. And also, um, just I'm way more in touch with my feelings, my emotions, and just what other people are going through. Because I think when you deal with a chronic condition, uh, it makes it easier to relate to because everybody's got something, right? Like uh, there's just a myriad of things that people have going on. So it makes you a much more empathetic listener, I think. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sleep Apnea Stories. I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's by email. Or you can connect with me on Instagram. The handle there is at stories. And I'm looking for people to feature on upcoming episodes of the podcast. So if you're dealing with sleep apnea, I would love to hear from you. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to have achieved great things. (laughs) Um, I'm just interested to hear from people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, doing all different jobs. Um, You know, maybe you are an athlete or somebody who works shifts. Um, I just want to hear from a broad range of the community so that we can all feel less alone coping with sleep apnea.